dives in for the touchdown. Did he get it? Yes, sure he did. Touchdown to Detroit Lions. You're listening to the One Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the One Pridecast presented by MGM Grand Detroit. I'm Tori Petri, joined once again by Mike O'Hara. Mike, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me again this morning, uh, and thanks for the scone again. Although I think this one's a little bit stale, but nice try. <laughs> My favorite part of introducing you is waiting for whatever quip you're going to have after I do it. That's not a quip. That's a complaint. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's two quips. Uh, I'll I'll try and fix that for next week. My apologies. We'll get you some okay. uh, fresh scones next week. What about coffee? What you just make a list and I will get it to you. Sounds good to me. <laughs> well, Mike, we have uh, quite the game to talk about on Sunday. It was obviously a disappointing one for Lions fans. Uh, definitely still stings as the Lions tried to turn the page to the Packers. What did you make of that game on Sunday against the Bears? Well, I, I looked at it as lost opportunity. You know, it was a game that was won. And, and, and look, Tori, you, you've covered the league a long time. These, it's hard to win in the National Football League. It really is. Just look at the teams that won at home and lost at home, the upsets and all that, Jacksonville winning a game that nobody thought they were going to win their way behind and find a way to win. And, and you have to find a way to win. You know, starting out, I think everybody knew the game – you know, week one of the National Football League, you're going to get sloppy play, and especially this year because, of, you know, all the things that happened in the pandemic, no off-season programs, no preseason games, no really extended hitting and all that, and the 14 padded-up practices. And we got a lot of that. But, okay, it, there was nothing that happened to the Detroit Lions. It didn't happen to the Chicago Bears during yeah. that same period of time to get ready. Find a way. You know, these games are valuable. Tori, you can't go to the – local 7-Eleven and buy a win in the National Football League. You can't take it back, take it to the exchange counter and say, no, 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 there's a little dent and I want the win. Oh, no, you earn it on the playing field, and they didn't do that. Did they play? I thought they played better football, more good football in that game than the Chicago Bears did. But the Chicago Bears played winning football in winning time, and that, unfortunately for the Detroit Lions and to the credit of the Chicago Bears, is winning time in the fourth quarter, and that's what they did. Hmm. Great point by you. Definitely agree. Uh, I mean, at what point did you feel like that game switched? At what point did you feel like the Lions, you know, really started to falter and, and the Bears started to play winning football? Well, the first thing I worried about early in the game when they had two pretty good drives, got inside the red zone for fans out there. That's when you start a, when you start a series of downs inside the opponent's 20-yard line and settled for field goals. But that happens. Okay, but you got something out of it. And I thought they, excuse me, had really taken charge of the game on the last drive of the, of the second half to the touchdown. It, it, you know, broke the tie, made it made it 13 to six, and then backed it up on the first drive of the first possession of the second half. Touchdown pass to T.J. Hawkinson, and then the next possession, a field goal. I mean, you're where you want to be. You've got what a 23 to six lead, and just just keep piling on. They didn't do that. So I, where I thought they were really were in trouble was when the Bears scored their first touchdown of the fourth quarter, four or five plays into the fourth quarter. And that, you could just see, okay, they're coming on. You could see their bench was into the game now. They're within striking distance. All they needed is a stop, a stop, two touchdowns, bingo, they win. Guess what? That's what they did. Well, this is a, a pattern that we saw a lot of last year. The Lions got themselves into that situation where they were leading or tied in the fourth quarter in 11 games, and – you know, they only won three of those. 
why do you think this is a pattern and what needs to be done to break it? Well, what needs to be done to break it is break it. We can talk about it all we want, and Matt Patricia and his coaching staff can diagram and all this other stuff, but it comes down to playing on the field, really. And I didn't see any massive coaching failures in that. I mean, there's some things you could question, but I think they're you know, like the 55-yard field goal attempt. I was 50-50 on that, as I am on most of them, but I didn't see like, any breakdown in coaching. I saw breakdowns in playing. I think I used a statistic last week, Tori. Maybe the coffee's getting to me, but but – <laughs> In the 12 games the Detroit Lions lost last year, they were outscored in the fourth quarter, 117 to 59. That's a half a point less than than, than you know than two to one. And in the tie, when they when they blew the 17-point lead again in, in the opener against the Cardinals last year, they were outscored 18 to seven. I mean, come on, it, it's got worse and worse. And guess what happened Sunday? 21 to nothing, outscored. So there's plenty of blame to go around. Is the pass rush faulty? Yeah. Did they have injuries in the secondary? Yeah. But it happened again. And you know, there's the way to overcome that is to possess the ball, drive the ball, score, and put the game out of reach so they can. They didn't do any of those things it, until the final drive and a drop pass in the end zone kept them from winning the game. What do you think of that drop pass? Is it on the rookie? Is there blame to be had there? How do you see that situation with DeAndre Swift's drop touchdown? Well, just to just to uh, set it up again for the fans out there, it's third and third and third down at the 16-yard line. I think 11 seconds to go, and the ball is snapped. Perfect play, perfect route, absolutely a dagger throw from Matthew Stafford. I've seen this his entire career. You couldn't do it better. Uh, Swift is squared up, looking at the quarterback. He's got he's, he's astride the end zone, one foot in in you know in territory, one, the other one in the in the end zone. It's an easy catch, absolute easy catch. He gets his hands on the ball, turns, and it slips out of his hands going into the end zone or completing the catch, whatever you want to call it. Here's what I, the way I've put it, and, and, I, and, I, and I believe this. DeAndre Swift dropped the winning touchdown pass, but he did not lose the game. That was one of 135 or 30, I think it was 136 offensive plays, defensive plays in that game. That was one of them, and not counting the special teams and all that. So, yeah, did he, he dropped the winning pass, and that everything changes if you win. But he alone did not lose the game. There was plenty of fault to go around, including to Matthew Stafford, who threw the interception just two minutes before that on a pass that he's had, what, 5,600 pass attempts in his career. He knows better than to throw that one. Wow, some criticism for Matthew Stafford, Mike. Rare from me, isn't it? No, I this know. is analysis, not criticism. <laughs> No, I'm no. a Matthew Stafford fan. I would never criticize. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there were – I completely agree with you. You can't put the result of the game on the shoulders of the rookie. I appreciated that Matt Patricia walked up the tunnel with him, with his arm around him, and, and uh, you know, encouraged him in that moment. And that Adrian Peterson said that he did the same in the locker room after the game. I think that is going to be so important for Swift – is having Adrian Peterson's leadership and encouragement, someone that those young guys really look up to, having him in your running back room to be able to help you get back on track mentally after that. And I think him getting touches in this next game is going to be important as well so that he knows that this team hasn't lost faith in him. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I think he's a good player. I think he's going to be a really good addition to that team. When we talked about just a few minutes ago about that touchdown at the end of the, uh, end of the half, that was a one-yard run by DeAndre Swift. It wasn't the typical, 
you know, put your head down and slam into the line and, and try to push everybody back. If you noticed that, that was a very nimble heads up run. I think he maybe didn't change direction, but I think he stepped over maybe two or three steps to step over some of that trash. You get in, in short yardage and really basically got into the end zone almost untouched. Untouched. I thought it was a very, very telling play of the balance and the vision and the explosion that, 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 that DeAndre Swift has. Now, look, he only had three carries for eight yards, but I think he's going to play play a bigger role. I wouldn't be surprised, and this is just me. There's not any inside information, but this is just me watching the game, who did what and who didn't do what. I wouldn't be surprised if very, very slowly and very surely if it, uh, he starts taking more snaps and he and Adrian Peterson become the one-two punch on this uh, at, at running back. That, that would not surprise me at all based on what I saw in the opener. All right. I mean, it is good to remember the good along with the bad from Sunday's game. So let's look at some of the positives. Obviously, that one touchdown you just mentioned from DeAndre Swift was a positive. What else did you see that you liked from this team on Sunday? Uh, Well, I I like the drive Matthew Stafford put together at the end of the first half and continued into the second half. I like the the potential game-winning drive that he put put together. I've seen that so many times. I had absolutely – I had absolutely no doubt in my mind when they got the ball with what is it, 105 left that they were going to threaten now, but they score. That's a long way to go in very little time, but that, that didn't, that, that didn't bother me. I like TJ Hawkinson offensively, of course, you know, he had a touchdown catch. And then yeah. Tori, you look at the guys and I look at them, not, not just as football players, but as athletes. And TJ Hawkinson is a different athlete. He's big, he's strong, he's angular, and he can catch and turn the ball and get upfield and accelerate with such ease and smoothness. You don't see him, you know, like he just takes it, you know, catch, plant, turn, go, instead of catch, plant, get my balance, where am I, now I go. And that's the way he's able to get, after the catch, I think, at separation and get upfield and get, you know, extra 5, 8, 10, 15 yards. And he is a remarkably skilled athlete. I I really look for him to have, you know, kind of a statement season, build on his 32 or 3 catches last year and get up in the, you know, maybe 60s or something, depending on how many you know, catches and, and, and targets everybody else gets. But I thought he was a, a real set asset. Adrian Peterson, I thought, was the star of the game on both sides of the yeah. ball for the Detroit Lions. You know, look, we talked about fans in the stands and what they mean and all that, but he had that one series there in the second half, I think it was. Or maybe it was late in the first half. I don't remember right now, but I'm pretty sure it was the second half when he had like three or four carries out of six or seven snaps. And I turned to Tim Twentyman, you know, our writing partner at DetroitLions.com. I said, Tim, if there were fans in the stands right now, they'd be going nuts right now because this is what they love. They love <laughs> yeah. a running game. You know what I'm saying? Tori just pounded, pounded, knocked somebody over, change direction, you know, get five yards, six yards, lose a yard, get seven, eight yards, and you just keep – you just, you've got you've to just watch him and hold your breath and see what he does. I mean, it is, it is so much fun when you see a running back who's tuned up and, 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 and really really producing. So I thought, I thought that was a real positive, too. The offensive line played better than I thought it would coming out of the first game or coming out for the first game, really patched together with not only a new right, right. tackle, but, you know, big Vitae or big V, I'll let you give the whole name there, <laughs> didn't play because of a foot injury. And Tyrell Crosby, who's, who's had some issues, uh, issues on the field as a player, really I thought they all stepped up and, and, and played pretty well. Uh, defensively, boy, it's it's tough because of how the, the things you know went against them, and you know late in the second half. But I thought uh, uh, Trey Flowers, I don't know if he's an All-Pro defensive end or anything like that, but he's a steady football player who makes plays. He's relentless. I liked I liked what he did. 
and and then what the thing I didn't like were the injuries at at, at, at cornerback. You could just see the, the secondary wilting play by play by play, and it started in the pregame when Jeff Okuda didn't play because which we knew we knew he was out right didn't play because of a hamstring injury so that really strapped him and he saw the results late in the end of the late late in the game yeah that's a lot to go through there Mike first of all I absolutely agree I think we're going to see a lot more of 9 to 88 this year I think that is going to be a pattern that will continue as this season goes on and I made the same observation as you with Adrian Peterson and saying Man, it's a shame that there are not fans in these stands because they would be going yep. crazy right now. I mean, this, there's been this storyline around the lines about how tough it's been for them to have a 100-yard rusher. Adrian Peterson joins the team on a Monday. We obviously know how good he is. Lions fans have watched him uh, across the field from them for so many years. But he joins the team on a Monday, and by Sunday he has a 93-yard rushing game. Seven yards away from a hundred-yard rusher that the Lions have have coveted for so long, and I, that was just incredible. Yeah, and it goes to show you a lot about him too. Look, a lot of guys would say, "Okay, I've had enough. I played thirteen years." Okay, you know, I went back and looked this up, and this might be a, a testimony that I have very little to do sometimes. But I went back and looked <laughs> his rookie season in uh, two thousand and seven when he was drafted seventh overall, same year the Lions took the Hall of Fame receiver candidate uh, uh, Calvin Johnson and he didn't play the first series I'm talking about Adrian Peterson now but on the first play of the second series he carried the ball with Daryl Bevel as his offensive coordinator and he gained 13 yards here we are 14 years 13 years and, and later in his 14th season opening day first carry 19 yards I don't know what that means <laughs> well, what it says to me is here's a guy who loves to play football and there are guys like that in, in any profession, but we're talking about sports and we're talking about football. The game is a grind. You get hurt. You wake up sore on Monday morning. And there are guys who just, they love the bus ride. They love the pregame. They love the one. They love everything about it. They love standing there waiting for the start of the game and all that. And Adrian Peterson, I think, was born with us. I think the first time somebody handed him, handed him a, a football, I think he's had a smile on his face every Saturday or Sunday the rest of his life because he just seems to love everything about football. That stat was some top-notch research, Mike. I appreciate that. Uh, I can go on if you'd like, but we don't have enough time. <laughs> I'm, my coffee's getting cold. No, but, you know, look, he's, he's a fascinating character. We, we, look, we got to see him twice a year for a long time when he was with the Vikings. And, and if you want, you, know, you, don't, you don't want to see your team get beat by anybody, but if you want to see him get beat, get beat by the best. And, and Adrian Peterson, look, I saw him run for a buck 99 one time. And he could, you know what? He could have ran for two ninety nine, but they took him out late in the game. Football is back. The 2020 NFL season is kicking off with even more ways to get into the game. Thanks to BetMGM, an official partner of the Detroit Lions. This year, Lions fans can play along for free during all the action and win great prizes, including the grand prize each week of an MGM Resorts trip package. Just download the Lions mobile app and register to play Lions Bingo each and every week. Play along during every game, and once you hit bingo, you score. All thanks to BetMGM. Learn more by visiting the official Lions mobile app now. Let's turn the page now to the Lions facing the Packers this Sunday in week two. You mentioned it, those injuries in the secondary. The Lions had to place Justin Coleman on IR this week. Now, there are different IR rules this year. They can return a lot sooner than they could in previous years because of all those special provisions for COVID. They also can return as many people from IR as they want. So, the 
going on IR isn't quite the sentence that it used to be. However, they know that they're going to be without him for at least a few weeks here. Desmond Trufant obviously went down in that game with a hamstring injury. You mentioned Jeff Okuda as well. What do the Lions do with such a beat-up secondary? Well, that's a great question. I don't know. I think it's as we talk now, I wouldn't be surprised if they add somebody to the roster, but I don't think there are any. I don't think there are any Jeff Okudas and and Justin Coleman's and Desmond Trufant's out there just waiting to play football for somebody. Because if they because if they were, they'd be playing now. You know, they'd be on somebody's roster right now, waiting for waiting for a call up. Thing with with Justin Coleman, I really thought this. And I, I think I said this last week that I thought the top four cornerbacks the Lions have, and I know they lost Darius Slay by the way, who did very little for the Eagles on Sunday in their loss. I thought that their top four cornerbacks this year, if you add them all up, and, and I would have a higher grade, cumulative grade, than the top four they had last year, just because everybody was in the right spot, and that meant Justin Coleman back uh, back in the slot. I thought he played really well. I really did. He should have had an interception, or at least could have, on a deflected ball and kind of made a lunge for it, and it went through his hands, and he couldn't hang on to it. But I think that's a big loss. I really do. I mean, we can talk all about the new rules and, and how soon you can get back, but the reality is if somebody would have just tapped Coach Patricia on the shoulder at the start of Sunday's game and say, hey, uh, you're not going to have uh, Coleman for three and a half games, he wouldn't care about the rules. He'd care about the guy he doesn't have. Every snap counts in the National Football League. We yeah. saw that. Now, Tony McCray, look, I give him credit and all that. He fought and battled hard, but he just winning touchdown pass, 27 yards to Anthony Miller. He just couldn't get there. And maybe it's because he hasn't, you know, maybe he didn't have enough familiarity with the scheme and all that. I don't know, but there is a big drop off between be, between those guys, and 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 they've got to find a way to manage manage it. But you really can in the National Football League. You can survive an injury. I'm not talking about a quarterback, but a position injury. But you can't survive very well getting wiped out at one position, and basically that's what happened. Yeah, definitely a tough spot to be in, especially as you head into week two with Aaron Rodgers on the horizon, who had quite the game on Sunday. What kind of challenge do the Lions have ahead of them in the Packers? Wow. You know, so Aaron Rodgers is over the hill. Look, you know, I I looked at this this morning because I thought we might be talking about it, but you look at all these old, you know, what I would call legacy quarterbacks who look, Headed probably for the Hall of Fame, but but Tom Brady, 43, what did he do? Nothing. He was terrible. Uh, uh, Drew Brees for the Saints, eh, played okay, you know, not very well. Phillip Rivers, 38 years old, for Indianapolis Colts, was terrible. Aaron Rodgers, who we've been writing off, myself included, said you could see him start to fade. I don't think he was a player of, the, of, the, of week one, but he certainly was up there. I mean, you look at his statistics, Tori. 32 out of 44, 364 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. And just, you know, I watched some of the highlights. I went on the Packers' website, looked at some of their video and all that, just the ease that he played with. I mean, he just made it look, you know, he hit every throw, roll right, roll left, throw deep, throw short, throw sidearm. He could have hiked the ball. He could have long snapped it. It looked like, hey, Muehlbach, step aside. I'm going to handle this one. But but it, he just he looked so good and, and I listened to his comments after the game on, on, on their website and one of his teammates uh, uh, Devonte Adams said and said told the media that he had that laser focus he could tell during the week and and Rogers really kind kind of validated that but he did say one thing too he says but that's for practice he says that's my role as a quarterback of the team is to provide the energy during the week on Sunday it's all about calm and man. The old line, he's as cool as the other side of the pillow. Well, he certainly was. 
There are few players in the NFL that I have seen play with as much vengeance as Aaron Rodgers does. It just seems like he just gets fired up to prove himself, and he never cracks under pressure. That that part of his game is amazing to me. Yeah, you know, Tell you're absolutely right. And look, you never know what motivates a player to, to, to play. Bobby Ross, who's the head coach here in Detroit, the man I respect immensely, once said, you don't care why a player win, plays as long as he plays. It could be for money, it could be for his family, it could be for his girlfriend. As long as he plays, you, you want guys to find a way, whatever the reason is, of why they play. And Aaron Rodgers, if he still has a grudge because he was drafted, you know, after uh, the, the second pick in the draft when he should, when he thinks he should have been the first pick in the draft, what, in 2004 or five, whatever it was, behind Alex Smith. Okay, that's a long time to hold a grudge. He must be must be Irish Catholic like me and never give, <laughs> give up on one. <laughs> that's what we remember. But but you know, seriously, it, it, whatever it is, and if it's Jordan Love. Uh, being drafted in the first round this year when they yeah. didn't get him a wide receiver. Okay, but you know what? Don't salt, don't don't sit there on the bench with your head down. Get out there and play. And guess what he does? He gets out there and plays. He does. He does. He absolutely does. What do you think the key is going to be for the Lions to be able to beat the Packers this week? It's looking like a tall order after that game we saw on Sunday from the Lions against the Bears and the game we saw on Sunday from the Packers against the Vikings. But, but what's it going to take? Well, you know, what's it going to take is, to, is really to play better football defensively. Don't have any lapses on offense. Like you're not going to score on every drive, except except when I say that. One of the first things that, that, that Rogers said in his post-game press conference was we, we punted the ball only once. He said, if you do that, you're going to win. Well, the Lions punted a lot more than once in their, in their opener. But, you know, I go back to a game that they played in 2015 when they started the season 1-7. and seven. Uh, went on yeah. the bye, had, had a couple of people fired, you know, the general manager and the team president. They went to Green Bay where they had not won, to Flambeau, had not won a road right. game a Packers since 1991, and bingo. That was a close score. I think it was 18-16 to 16 was the final, but they really dominated that game on, on all three phases. And you can do it. That's that's the nature of the, of the National Football League. Look, I picked the Lions to finish second in the NFC North, and so that you know, last week when we talked about this, and I still think they have the ability to do that, but boy, they've certainly got to shore up an area that once again presented itself last week, and that's defensively. You know, you, you, look, you can't control injuries, but you can control performance. And up front, they had one sack, three or four pressures on the quarterback, but when, in money time, Mitchell Trubisky and, and, and the Bears' offensive line owned him. They really did. He went eight for 10 for 89 yards and three touchdowns in the fourth quarter alone. Now that's Mitchell Trubisky. You would think that was a little statistic, you know. <laughs> so yeah. I think that, that that's what they have to do, and then you've got to finish. And we've been talking about this forever. But when you get in the red zone, score touchdowns. Not going to get them all the time, but score touchdowns. Finish the game. Finish the half. They did a good job of that. Finishing the first half and taking what I thought was command of the game, but they couldn't hang on to it. Finish in the fourth quarter. Get defensive stops. Get first downs on offense. Don't put yourself in that position where you're standing or looking at the clock and hoping time runs out. Take care of it yourself. I like that you bring up that 2015 season because that's the one that I always go back to to say you're never out. As, no. as badly as that season started and it seemed like it was just over before we even got to halfway that season truly turned around and the Lions nearly made the playoffs if not for you know, a certain certain play by Aaron Rodgers and company. But that season is an example of how no matter how a season starts, no matter how week one 
even week two through week what seven, eight, or whatever it was before they turned it around, it's never out of the question to know how a season will end. No, absolutely. You know, sometimes, look, we know where you are at a given point in time. We don't, we don't always know where you're going to end up. And look, I don't want to go back into the history of pro football in the Detroit Lions. I remember 1983 when the Lions started one and four. Oh, yeah, I remember 1983. <laughs> it's, on, it's on the calendar somewhere, right? <laughs> but, but Tori, after, the, after the, the head coach, Monty Clark, was really a good guy and had a dry wit and all that on the way to the team bus. He looked at me and Jerry Green, a columnist at the Detroit News at the time, and said, see you at the cemetery. And you know what? That team rallied and made the playoffs and, and had the San Francisco 49ers beat in the first playoff game, missed a field goal on, on the last play of the game. But you can turn it around. It's in your hands. The season is not over after one game. Is, is it, You're right. Does it look dark? Yeah. Okay. Down in Cleveland, they're talking about the Thursday game against the, against the Bengals being the defining moment for Baker Mayfield. No, it isn't. They're all defining <laughs> moments. The National Football League is not just a straight line. It's 16 dots, and you connect them when the season's yeah. over and see where you are. And you know what? The Detroit Lions are on dot number two. Now, this is a very big dot, okay? Let's be, be realistic. <laughs> but it's 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 nothing that they – it's not a game that they can't win. It's not a game that they're expected to win, but expected and can't are two different things. I like the dots, Mike. That's a good visual. All right. With that, let's go now to Mike's Pick of the Week, presented by MGM Grand Detroit. Mike, what's it going to be? Who wins on Sunday? Well, I, I, I think the Lions can win it. I think uh, sometimes when you when you come off a terrible loss like that and, and, and you go on the road against a team that is just, just cooking, you know, it's it's. I think sometimes that's the best thing for you. And, and we can talk about the road and all that. I think the road is different this year because because of the fans. And Absolutely. Look, if, if there are no fans in Lambeau, can you do the Lambeau leap? Well, you know what? Play like there are fans in the stadium rooting against you and don't let them leap into the stands. Look, I'm going to take the Packers in this game and I'm going to take them 27 to 24, but I think it's a game the Detroit Lions can win. And historically, Matthew Stafford bounces back. Now, he's had numerous opportunities to do it. He did it in the last minute a week ago in a game and threw what should have been the winning touchdown pass. Matthew Stafford did not play anywhere near his best football, but he's the leader of this team. He's the example of this team. He's the touchstone of this team. And I think he'll play well. The Packers just have a little bit too much right now. And I'm sticking with that pick, 27-24. Okay. All right, Mike. Thank you so much for giving us your pick. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. This was good stuff. I think it's good to kind of process this loss from Sunday out for Lions fans and kind of look at what's ahead for the Packers game and and get talked off the edge a little bit on, you know, overreactions to week one. So, Mike, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate you. Well, Tori, thanks for having me, and thanks for the coffee and the scone. I appreciate it. Next week, you're getting a full spread. (laughs) Well, how about that? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you guys for listening and tuning in to the One Pridecast presented by MGM Grand Detroit. We will be back next week with another episode. Football is back. The 2020 NFL season is kicking off with even more ways to get into the game. Thanks to BetMGM, an official partner of the Detroit Lions. This year, Lions fans can play along for free during all the action and win great prizes, including the grand prize each week of an MGM Resorts trip package. Just download the Lions mobile app and register to play Lions Bingo each and every week. Play along during every game, and once you hit bingo, you score. All thanks to BetMGM. Learn more by visiting the official Lions mobile app now. 